Alrighty. I think I think this is How's it. it hey, good. Okay, I, I think I think it's this is it. Happening. Yes. Let's do it. This, is, right. this is gonna happen now, finally. Um one last test and then two. One. You are now listening to the Enter VR podcast, uh, the place where you come get your virtual reality slash everything else that's going on in the world information from me and my scholarly guests. Um, today, I'm joined by Sarah. Uh, Sarah, can I use your can I use your last name? Sarah, can I say your sure. last name? Okay. Uh, well, yeah. you are, I, I didn't want to um, get too into your privacy uh, since, <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah Ann Downey, she is an investor at. Uh, accomplice and Sarah thanks so much for joining me on the show today yeah thank you for having me so tell me what is it that keeps you up at night these days oh man so many things um one are we living in a simulation two what's going on with Trump three when is generation two of Pokemon Go going to come out and four when is Mass Effect Andromeda coming out and when can I just hole up and play that and not talk to anyone ever again. Ooh, are they so? Is Mass Effect on drama going to be s- same? Like, it, it's is it a continuation of Mass Effect after the third one, or is it like a separate universe or separate storyline? So it's the same. From what I understand, it's the same universe but a different storyline. So you're not Commander Shepard this time. Oh. Yeah. Did, were you Were you satisfied with the, the with Mass Effect's three en- endings? By, by the way. Not really. Like, how could you be? It was kind of like the whole premise of this this franchise is that your choices matter and that it all leads to some grand finale. And then it's just like, oh, pick a color. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, re- I read that they're taking a cue from um, Witcher 3 and really, like, doing the side quests and the, the endings in, in a way that adds a lot more depth to it. Because, like, previous Mass Effect titles and Dragon Age and a lot of Bioware stuff, I love it, but the side quests are, are they're side quests. It's like someone lost their intergalactic dog and like, you know, go find mine all this ore or go pick up like all these pelts. But in Witcher, the side quests really have a depth to them and things that you do in one side quest actually affect sometimes the whole plot and you see that guy later if you saved his life and he gives you a discount, all this stuff kind of comes together. So uh, but they said that they're doing that and they're taking a cue from that in, in Andromeda, so that should be cool. That's exciting. I haven't played... I skipped, so I, I played Mass Effect 2, and then I skipped 3 because people kept spoiling that that the ending was going to suck, and I was like, all right, well, ah... You know, it was, it was torn, and now I, I, I'm, like, on this on the fence on whether I'm going to be hyped about Andromeda. So... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the... the the game was worth playing, I think, Mass Effect 3, because it was really well done until the ending. But it's like you're still sinking 60-plus hours into this game that is mind-blowing and incredible. And, like, yeah, the ending was weak, but so what? It's like I do that stuff for escapism, and it was the best kind of escapism. I was just gone. Yeah. No, I had a really, really, really good time playing Mass Effect 2. Um, it just sucks you That's in. the best. Yeah. That was the best one. It sucks you in. It's so good. Uh, so, yeah. what, what? Tell me about Pokemon Go. So, you're you're hoping Pokemon Go Two comes out? Is this is this are, are these rumors? Is this is this a thing? No, this is confirmed this morning. Like, I was in bed this morning, and I don't know about you, but like the first thing I always do is is grab my phone and just like try to force myself to not snooze again and start reading. So I wake up, 
And I, I get alerts when Niantic tweets because this is how obsessed I am. So the alert came through. And then I also text from two of my friends who I, I pokey quest with. And they were like, holy shit, you got to check it. And Niantic was like, this week, it's happening. So today is Wednesday when we're recording this. Yep. So it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be like Thursday or Friday. It's going to be, and I've been waiting so long for this. So it's, we have the, like, you know, the 150 that came out in Gen 1. And so Gen 2 is going to introduce 80 new ones. Ooh. I know. What about, okay, so, so is it, is it just Pokemon or are they including more features into, into the actual app? Everything, more features. There's different kinds of uh, berries. Like right now, you only have the raspberry, and they said there's gonna be two new kinds. Like one that slows down the Pokemon, so they're easier to catch, and then forget what the other one does. Um, there's also uh, new kinds of customizations for your avatar. So like, I'll show you mine right now. We're on Skype, so like this is me, yep, right? Yep. Like, I'm going to be able to go full avatar customization, which I'm sure they're going to try to monetize. But whatever. Like, I've dropped some money in this game. Let's be, let's get real. <laughs> like, those, those incubators don't, you know, they don't purchase themselves. <laughs> what, uh, oh, man, I, I'm fascinated by the, by the whole Pokemon Go phenomena and... You know, and, and the fact that like even till till this day, eight months since it got released, people are still playing, people are still hyped, and Niantic is still developing it. The question t to me has always been, you know, what is the relationship between Nintendo and Niantic, and what is Nintendo's vision uh, for Pokemon Go compared to Niantic's, and whether they, you know, they share the same values or the same vision. I, I wonder, you know, what do you think uh, yeah. Nintendo's going to do with the whole Pokemon Go? you know, franchise or app? Well, it's it's funny because when when Pokemon Go first came out, Nintendo stock soared. And that was because a lot of people just didn't understand that this wasn't Nintendo itself releasing this game. Like, yeah, they're licensing and using Nintendo intellectual property and in Pokemon. Um, so, you know, it's still a huge moneymaker for Nintendo. Like, their stock soared and then it dropped a little, but it's still went up hugely and and pokemon on um is it like what are what is the most recent one like i don't have a um is it sun and moon thing, but it's like yeah sun and moon has been like the single biggest revenue driver for nintendo um and they're you know they're gonna make a big bet on the switch but um what i i feel like what always ends up happening with their consoles is they come out you buy it for like the three or four games that you're gonna play on it like zelda mario kart smash brothers and like maybe one other thing and then it's just kind of there so it'll be interesting to see if they can like bridge mobile and console the way that they're trying to do with the switch but yeah you know i think um there's there's tough like rules around the ip like what you can and can't do with pokemon but in my mind niantic has had like very big ups and downs with how they released pokemon go and how they've been continuing to support it but that's not you know that's not a problem with pokemon it's like <laughs> it's more you know, hey, why is it eight freaking months until we got Gen 2? Yeah. Or, like, you know, why do you do... You, the tracking system took forever to fix, and arguably it's still not fixed. So there's a lot of, like... For better or for worse, I still think that it's one of the most cool phenomena I've seen in, in gaming. Like, walking around Boston, where I'm from, the, the two weeks after that game launched was like being in an alternate universe where every single person is playing the same thing as you and you're just like hey what's up 
I like all, everyone's my friend now. <laughs> yeah, I it was so fascinating. It was. I mean, if I were like, if I were an an, an alien from outer space, I would want to like come study humans right around that time. Like, what are, what is going on to these like beings? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you want, I want to share with you my conspiracy theory about what Nintendo might do with the Switch. Um, so Please. I have this conspiracy theory. Um, so, so, so the Sony PlayStation VR came from uh, back in the day. Sony came up with the PlayStation Move controllers, and and I was reading an article by Game Informer. I can't remember the the news game gaming magazine that you know broke the story or did the story on them but it was a big big article and they were talking about how back in 2010 sony had these move controllers that they didn't know what to do with them because they weren't selling them as much as they sh- they could they could have so they they sent the move controllers to these guys and like their skunk work labs mm-hmm. and they started m- messing around fucking around with it and they ended up with an hmd that they could uh pair it to my um feeling is and based on a Gamma Sutra, I think, interview that came out where they asked the, the president of Nintendo whether he would move into virtual reality, he sort of started teasing about it. Um, and the reason being is because the Switch, if you notice, Nintendo went back to mo- uh, motion controllers. And I think that, you know, before you have virtual reality, it's always a good idea to have, like, solid motion controllers. Um, mm-hmm. And so I have a feeling that, you know, Nintendo's going to see the writing on the wall at some point and they're going to be like, look, we have our own version of the Nintendo Switch Google Cardboard thing that, you know, not many people are going to buy because it's underpowered compared to everybody, every other headset that's going to yeah. come out. But we'll see. And, and yeah, by the way, how many Pokemon did you catch by now? Oh, I have all of them. So other than, okay, side note. All of them that I can possibly get without leaving the country. Mm. Um, so, 151 right now. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so I haven't been to, like, Australia, Asia, or the EU during this period. And if I if I did, I better believe I would have been like, where the hell is Kangastan? <laughs> like, <laughs> gotta get it. Um, so, yeah, no, I literally, like, here, I'll show you. This is my Pokedex. So, just so that we're clear... Like, oh man, I'm just going. Oh man, and then like the new ones are on the bottom because they did these, like, sort of uh, a mini release of Gen 2 with the babies. And the only way you could get them was by hatching eggs, and then the only way you hatch eggs is by walking. So I've walked 540 kilometers just with this app open. Whoa, how much is that? (laughs) That's a lot of miles. I'm I'm not sure how many miles that is, but that's a lot of miles. couple couple hundred hundred <laughs> yeah. that's um what holy moly um wow which pokemon was the most difficult for you to catch or like was there a location um, where i was like wow i was not expecting this thing to be here yeah so for a while it was snorlax because i just like i i found him a couple times and he ran away and it was horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> but then i ended up getting one and he was shitty it was like cp 130 but i didn't care because it was just pokedex completion but then the, the last one that i ended up getting was muck so muck is the, the evolution of grimer and i remember like <laughs> we had this tracker that was like an unlicensed tracker called pokey go boston that like some developer made and it was, like, back in the day before all those got kicked off of the, the servers. 
like you could see where they were spawning and I was like out trying to get grimers and it was pouring rain which is appropriate for a grimer because it was like disgusting out and um, suddenly on the map like a muck showed up and I was like fuck this like I don't even need to get the grimers I can just go straight to the evolution and it was like a scene out of a movie like I was like speeding in my car in the pouring rain to try to get this thing and there was nowhere to pull over it was just like the middle of downtown Boston traffic and I got it, and I was alone in my car, and I was, like, screaming, laughing. Um, it was, like, an epic moment. And then um, my friend and I were walking around uh, trying to get, I don't know, we were just, like, hunting one night, and a Dragonite showed up. And that was the other like, moment that I will always remember, because all of these strangers all ran over, and we all were catching it and, like, jumping up and screaming and laughing. It was, like, that doesn't happen in the world, you know? That's just such a weird moment so as a pokemon go veteran how how do you how can you how do you envision the app uh being better how can pokemon go be better man this is this is such a law i'm gonna try to not talk for 45 minutes on this (laughs) that'd be Um, great (laughs) we got we got a lot to talk about we we can't say on pokemon but i'm curious you know because you're a veteran you know what's up yeah well okay couple things um one little ui thing that would be amazing is on the catch screen if they had like a a a ball thing and then a berry thing because it sucks to go into your menu and have to like go scroll all the way down to get a berry to use it right so that's annoying i also want more backpack space because i've upgraded but still not enough i want more room in my for my pokemon as well um little like ui things like I wish the character would only show a running animation when you're above the speed limit hmm. as opposed to below. Um, I wish that lures would show how much time they had left on them because sometimes you're like walking to get to one and it expires right when you get there and it sucks. Um, I wish they would continue to give out more incubators because it really sucks having to pay for those. And also the gym system is kind of broken. Like there's really no point to fighting in gyms and it feels like they're always I mean Niantic has tweaked this a bunch and made it harder or easier or whatever it just like doesn't feel like they've ever hit a good equilibrium where it's fun to fight in a gym it's just like tap tap forever tap forever run out of items mm. so it's just you know if you're, if you're lucky enough to live in some rural place that happens to be a gym and nobody else is going to come by and fight you for it you can just like pick up your coins every day and that's great but it's fierce here in Boston. I'm on Team Instinct, and we just, like, we've been having a, a surge lately because no one's been playing, and we're just, like, the underdogs who keep going. But now that Gen 2 is back, I guarantee you red and blue are going to be all over the place. <laughs> My God. I, I, would, I could keep going forever talking about Pokemon, but we have to <laughs> move on because I have another theory to share with you. I think, I think, yes, I think we are in a simulation. The proof out there that we are in a simulation is that donald trump is president and i felt I, that's what i felt like dude i woke up and i was like all right look i was in canada when i when when the election was happening that night and i was like at a bar and this canadian waitress comes up and she's like guys um so trump looks like he's surging and we were like silly canadian you don't know i'm just gonna like, I'm just going to go home and put on CNN. Like, it'll be fine. And it wasn't fine. 
So I was getting this sick feeling in my stomach, and I was like, I'll just go to sleep, and when I wake up, everything will reset. And then it didn't, and it was, in fact, worse because he was president. And ever since then, every single morning, I get up and, like, I listen to the, the news on my Echo, and it's like every day is worse than the last. So I do think, um, you know, there's probably, like, a, a multiverse of possibilities in which he is the president or he isn't or he's already, you know, quit that job or, or it does feel like it's our world. Hey, 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 I'm losing you again. Oh, no. Hello, hello. Round three. Hey. Round three, simulation. <laughs> um, no, uh, so, yeah, um, it's funny. It's funny that the moment we started talking about Trump and the simulation, all of a sudden the Internet starts fucking up, you know. It's okay. We can talk about Pokemon all Pokemon Go all we want. But the moment you start talking yes, about <laughs> the truth of the blinders that we all have, no, but yeah, it's a, it is, it is a really bizarre sort of circumstance we find ourselves in. I'm still, I still sometimes like am pinching myself, like, wow, this is really real. This is really real. Because a year ago, like, there was this part of me, like, and and it's still in there. Like, I think we all have this part of us deep inside where, like, you know, it's this little voice that says, you know, you. You know, I can imagine the worst thing that could happen, and and for the longest time I was like just muting that voice, like no, calm down, not, not the worst yeah, thing. Yeah. And and every single time that voice has been right. <laughs> like, I know. Like like the voice would say it's... he's gonna win, and I'd be like no, he's not gonna win. He's gonna want to build up wall, and I'm like no, he's not gonna. And then he's us. He's gonna want to ban Muslims, and he's like and, and I'm like no, he's not gonna do it. And then he does. Like he's he's like every single yeah. worst case scenario that I have imagined up until this point is is happening, and it's uh it is it's, it's kind of hard to keep up, really. You know how do you how the fuck do you pay yeah. attention to virtual reality when you got you know reality you know getting in the way? That's I think exactly why you have to pay attention to VR because it's like the only hope. If reality sucks and it's going to be dystopian, which it always is in every sci-fi novel or video game or TV show or movie, it's always a dystopia, you know? So, like, our escape is going to have to be VR. It's like in Ready Player One, like, the universe that they live in sucks, so they just build a metaverse full of everything that they could ever want, that's where you go to school, and that's where you live, and it's like, you know, even if, the re even if reality is terrible, we can at least have VR. Like, assuming you know, net neutrality and other forms of uh, free speech and tech aren't under attack, which they are, of course. So that's depressing. So, yeah, well, let's let's go there um, because we had enough chit-chat about Pokemon and it's not, It's I think it's time to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. What's what's the worst yeah. case scenario, do you think, in, 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 the chan in, in the realm of net neutrality, like, you know, over the next four years? Well, um, I think you can imagine a dystopian future where you wake up and you go to check your email and things just aren't delivered to you because you didn't pay the requisite amount or, you know, like you, it's almost like a filter bubble, but much worse where you and I wouldn't be able to watch the same shows. We wouldn't be able to read the same news, um, depending on what cable provider we just happen to end up with which often isn't a choice because it's just where you live or depending on how much money you have like oh did you get the gold package of internet 
well, you don't have a gold package, so you're not going to be able to go on Reddit because, like, man, that site uses a lot of data, and we're just not going to we're not going to support that. Um, to me, the internet is like the great equalizer. Anybody with a voice can get out there and put it. You know, they can be heard. They can learn. You know, you can teach yourself anything online. You can meet anybody. You can learn anything, and that's like the redeeming factor for fe- for the future of humanity. But if, if it's locked down and it's gated and just inaccessible, I start to really worry about future, the future. And I mean, like beyond the worries that I already have that this is a simulation or that AI is going to take over the world. And well, AI taking over the world is why I think this is a simulation. So <laughs> they're kind of related. So, but, um, but let me ask you this. I, I have this feeling that the, the media that you consume shapes the way you are. And so oh, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a very real sense, you know, the, if, I, if I had grown up all my life just watching cable TV um, without the influence of Reddit or the Internet, I, I would be a completely different human. And I, yeah. and, I, and I sort of wonder whether, like, you know, segmenting the Internet into this... It's almost like turning the internet into a class-based society all of a sudden because yeah, you guys like are rich, cast. you're poor. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, what psychological impact could that have on the minds of those who can't afford, you know, to have, you know, a free and open internet like, like we have now? Yeah, it's, it's scary. And there's, like, the filter bubble concept is one that is really relevant here, just like, you know, everybody's seeing different things on the internet today already just because of targeting and testing. Like when I go to Amazon, my homepage does not look the same as yours because we, well, maybe it does because it seems like we have a lot in common. So we, we probably buy the same shit, but like, you know, most two people do not see anywhere near the same things. And that's already happening with social media too. Like you curate your group of friends and you curate your um, likes and dislikes based on your activities and then Facebook is sending you, showing you different news, different people, different things based on that algorithm. And it's all, it's not really maliciously designed. It's designed to give you a better experience. You know, I like Pokemon, therefore Google Now always gives me cards about Pokemon and Rick and Morty and RuPaul's Drag Race and like other stuff that I like, which is great, but I'm also not seeing anything outside of this bubble. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's kind of how I, it's it's kind of how this election happened too because I don't know about you but you're probably in the same boat where you're in this like little tech bubble on the east coast or the west coast and we're just surrounded by startups and founders and people with new ideas and like the, the things that happen in these ecosystems and you know people are generally well paid and intellectually challenged and the future seems bright and we understand technology and how it works but there's this huge gulf in the middle and that gulf is the majority of the country, you know, that that's why Trump is elected. So it's, it's dangerous, like, to forget that, to surround yourself with these filter bubbles and with these tech ecosystems. It's like, that's how somebody like Trump happens. Yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> scary. Yeah, because you don't, <laughs> you, you, it's, um, it, it morphs, it, it's, your reality sort of shatters like oh this is impossible you know it, it, this could never yeah. happen and then it does happen and all of a sudden like what it what can happen now 
<laughs> Anything can. Like, I know. <laughs> and so, but what, what do you think virtual reality can do to change or break that cycle of, you know, people ending up in their own affirmation bubbles? Because it seems to me that, you know, it's, it, the, the smartphone has failed uh, to, to be able to break us out of that, you know, um, thought yeah. loop. Can virtual reality do something different? What can be done? I think so, like especially now because the people who have HMDs, at least high quality ones, is it's it's a pretty low number. Like we're we're a small percentage of people, and so now when you want to do something social in VR, none of your friends most of the time have them. So when you go and do social stuff in VR, like in alt space or wherever else, you're talking to strangers. So that like yeah, sure, there's technologically savvy strangers, but they're still all over the world. They're not people you probably meet otherwise. Um, so for a while, until um, HMD use becomes more widespread, it's going to be these kind of like friendly stranger interactions where you do go outside of yourself a little bit. And I think that's interesting. Um, AR also has capabilities for expanding your world a little bit because, um, you know, like if you imagine you're walking down the street and AR could point things out to you that might be of interest. And, uh, of course, there's going to be this tendency for designers to point you to things that they think you'll like. But I also think that optimistically there's a, a chance that you'll discover pieces of the physical world that you, you haven't or that you'll run into people that you wouldn't know otherwise, kind of like Pokemon Go did, but on a much broader scale. I think that's the optimistic uh, way to look about it. You know, plus the fact that social applications like dating or even education can become so much more powerful in VR. Like you could be sitting next to somebody in the classroom in VR and have a real personal response to them um, as a classmate without them being physically present. So I think there's a lot of um, interesting possibilities there. Yeah, absolutely. Do you and, – and, and it seems to me – that when it comes to virtual reality social networks, like we haven't really seen the adaptation of Facebook for virtual reality quite yet. Um, mm-hmm. But but that's going to be a thing one day. You're going to have your like VR MMOs or AR MMOs. You know, they have, uh, how do you say, um, they have algorithms that suggest friends to you based on the people that know you, that, you know, have certain interests um, that are similar to you. You, how will they be able to again break away from the bubble? It, it seems to me like you know, mm-hmm. uh, there the the, the the groundwork has been laid for the same mistakes to be made in the future. I don't think they want to break the bubble, and I, you're totally right. That's Facebook is monetizing their users' data. That is their bread and butter. Like they, you as a user of Facebook are the product. So that to me, is not going to change in VR. That's, in fact, why they made this billion, $2 billion investment in Oculus was to own social VR in the future. And from what I've seen, you know, with their their representations of avatars and the friend system, they're trying to just port over the stuff you already do in Facebook into VR, which means your likes, your identity, your pre-existing friendships, etc. You know, I think it would be interesting for something like a Facebook group where you're just, you might not know these people, you're just kind of like avatars making comments, and to actually like be in a VR room with these people will have interesting implications. Um, but for all those reasons, I'm I'm hesitant on saying that 
Facebook VR will be a success because for me and you know, for a lot of people I've talked to in the VR community, the idea that you can be whoever you want to be in virtual reality is really tantalizing. Like you can, you can like in second life kind of, you could be a human or you could be an animal or you could be any, any age, any person at any place at any time. Like why would you be constrained by the real world? I don't, it's, 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 I would like to go into a VR club where no one knows who I am. I don't know who anyone is and just have, totally authentic like uncensored conversations with those people because for me one of the downsides of facebook is that everybody knows who you are you're leaving a trail wherever you go you have this like digital persona that follows you and has real world implications and downsides and it's made me become more censored like i know that everything i'm doing could potentially show up anywhere with employers or in the news or whatever so I, I end up becoming kind of boring. Um, so I think that's why things like Snapchat have so much appeal because it's ephemeral and you can be more raw and authentic. And that's what I like out of interactions with people. So I'm not looking forward to a VR that's just me, Sarah Downey, and VR avatar version. You know, I'm looking forward to a VR where I can be anybody that I want to be. Yeah. Here's something that I've noticed with... Um with a- applications and platforms is something where like in the beginning you are going to have like this, ex- this exact same thing that you're talking about like this raw true humanness to it like the early days of youtube um mm-hmm. that and so you know the, the 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 question then becomes you have all this like raw real human content and then all of a sudden the business side of the of the business wants to monetize it wants to figure out how to make it you know more profitable how to give more to the masses and then they fuck it up you know because because yeah. it's not re- because all of a sudden it's not real it's all of a sudden someone's getting a paycheck and it's not it doesn't come from some from from yeah. somewhere deep um and so you know how do you think w- in virtual reality or different platforms will be able to adapt you know it, it seems to me just like it's just this constant cycle of like you were the first early days it's going to be really really raw and real and then as the money starts coming in it becomes like you know more censored just just how you say how do you how do we get away from that well part of that is the like the venture funding cycle because in the beginning you know, all you want to see is that, like, the super beginning, right? Like, pre-product, it's like you have an idea and you have the team to do it. And that's all that an investor really cares about, right? Because you're taking a huge bet at that point. It's a huge risk. You don't have a lot of data to go on. Then as the company grows, it's like, you know what? All we want to see is traction. Like, do you have users? Do they love the product? Are they spending time in there? Don't even worry about monetization. Like, if you have a business model or plan, great. And if you're making money, even better, but don't worry about it. Then they got to this point where they've raised kind of a lot of money, they have a lot of users, the pressure is high, the stakes are high. Now it's like, hey, by the way, you gotta start returning some of this capital. And that's when they start scrambling and a lot of them go to the ad revenue model and that's usually, uh, unless done well or intelligently, is usually kind of at odds with what users want from the experience. It seems obtrusive. You don't want the ads to be there, so then I think uh, I I don't know. Maybe people have to pay for it, yeah. and it's if it's if it's this kind of like high fidelity, immersive, transformative experience, like I, I would pay for that all day. But 
you know, people like to get shit for free, so who knows? Um, it, it's just, uh, I worry about things that appear free are often secretly paid for with your data. And I worry about the uh, erosion of, of privacy and user experience that that will lead to in the end. How can how can how can how can we have our cake and eat it how how is it possible yeah. that we can have uh that there can be a business that provides a valuable um you know it provides value to people but also protects their privacy mm -hmm. <laughs> is are those two things are those two things not supposed to go with each other like can we not have our cake and eat it it's really hard it's like i used to work at a privacy startup and we struggled with this question all the time i mean a lot the most important thing the thing you can't sacrifice is, is user experience so people want privacy but they say they want it but they won't actually use it or sacrifice or change their behavior to use it if it's hard to do so if there was like a facebook alternative that was pro privacy but it was kind of annoying and clunky and weird to use like like allo tried to do that a couple of years ago mm -hmm. um it's not going to work so one example of a place where I've seen it work is uh, the, the Signal app. Um, so it's just like a chat app. Actually, today they announced that they are now testing video chat. But it's like really great, simple, clean, beautiful user interface, um, features encryption, really strong. It's like the app that Edward Snowden recommends using if you're going to chat with somebody. So it, it combines extremely strong privacy and security with a great user experience and interface. Um, and in a lot of these things, uh, you know, you pay for the upgrade or things like native ads can actually be interesting if they're well done and there's some quality control. Like if you native ads, um, like an article form, I've, I've seen plenty of native ads that are actually like interesting or, you know, promoted, uh, promoted content that's actually good. So you just need somebody to be a gatekeeper there, you know, or you straight up pay for it. You have different tiers of payment or, um, you know, you have somebody else pay for it, like an employer or somebody down the road. But um, it's really tough. I don't know. Not a lot of companies have uh, cracked this. Can you think of a, a one company that got the furthest, you know? The, uh... mm. um, well, Other than Signal, I mean, there's there's some privacy. There's some companies that focus exclusively on security and privacy, like, mm -hmm. um, well, Whisper Systems is the parent company for Signal. You know, um, not really. What does that shows used to think. Yeah, what does that say? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, people want the fastest and easiest route to monetization, and often that's advertising. Uh, I don't really, yeah, can't really think yeah. of much that hasn't done that. So let me ask you this. What, is, what does privacy mean to you? I think a lot of people hear privacy and they think that means you have something to hide. They think of it in negative terms. Like only people who are bad people or criminals or sketchy in some way care about privacy because they have something to hide. If you have nothing to hide, you're just going to be out there freely disclosing whatever to anybody, which I disagree with. Like, I think, um, to me, privacy is about freedom of, free, uh, freedom of speech and expression, such that you are able to say the things you want to say and be who you want to be based on the audience around you. So, like, if I 
if I'm standing on a stage in front of like an entire university, I'm not going to say the same things that I would if, if I was talking to my best friend, you know? So privacy means knowing your audience and knowing how far that information is going to go and being able to modulate what you do and don't say based on that. So like for me, violations of privacy are scary because they cut down on my freedom of speech. Because if I know everybody's watching and I know this is all being recorded and sold and used and will pop up later, I'm not going to say in many cases what I really want to say mm-hmm. because of the consequences. So I don't, I don't want to live in a world where people aren't being themselves because of fear of repercussions later or, you know, identity theft or um, getting fired or any, any number of these things. Like, do you ever watch Black Mirror, the, the show? On yes. Netflix? So did you see the episode um, from this latest season called Nosedive where everybody uses these apps where they rate every single human interaction they have? Yep. And then every interaction is so shittily fake and, and saccharine and bullshit. Like, because you never know. It's all public. So I just think when you live in a world where everything is public... Nobody is truly themselves, and that means nobody's really happy. Ah, if you can't be yourself, (laughs) you can't be happy. See, it's that simple. (laughs) It's that simple. Yeah, simulation anyway. Who cares? No, 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 no. Don't say that, Sarah. Don't say that. that. It's it's as real as it gets because we're experiencing it. I'm very – it's – I mean it really is that simple as that. I, I, you're, if you can't be yourself, then you're not going to be a happy person, period. Like, that's, yeah, it's just kind of like the advice that uh, it applies everywhere. But where do you, like, where do you draw caveats though? Where, where do you draw, draw lines or exceptions or you say, but, you know, don't be an asshole to people, but, you know, or what do you, what do you say? I mean, I guess people should be assholes to people as long as, I mean, it's a freedom of speech thing, but like, as long as you're not like but then, but straight up if, if, de- defaming people, the, I guess. Well, that's exactly, like, what you just said sums it up perfectly because, like, defamation is not protected speech. Yeah. So if we're going under the framework of, of free speech, protected speech, like, hate speech is, is not something you can do. You can't defame people, slander them, libel them. You can't um, discriminate against people ba- based on protected categories like race or religion or, or um, gender to a lesser degree. Um, so... You know, you also can't say things that would lead to a, a, a large risk of imminent harm. Like the classic example is going into a crowded movie theater and screaming fire and then causing a stampede of people running out because that kind of speech is actually dangerous. So, um, and again, there's a difference between government restrictions on free speech and private company restrictions on free speech. So, like Twitter is a private company, they can do kind of whatever they want within the bounds of things being outright illegal. So, they have a massive problem with bullying. They continue to say that they're doing stuff. They can do a lot more than, for instance, the government could do. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of continually perplexing to me as to like what's going on over there to the extent that they cannot solve this problem of people being douchebags. How do you protect people and free speech at the same time? There's always going to be a gray area there's always going to be 
a determination and sometimes you're going to be wrong and sometimes you're going to be right, but you want to be right more times than you're wrong. It's kind yeah. of like the whole summary of the law in general. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely like a standard at which certain people are going to get offended by things and those things deserve to be heard. So it's like you often see this quest against offense and um, to me, like, I've never been really sympathetic towards that. I feel like anybody should be able to say pretty much anything as long as it's not going to imminently danger, put somebody in danger. Yeah, by the and way. Even the Westboro Baptist Church, like, I hate those people. Yeah. I hate them so much. But, like, I, I respect their right to go make a rainbow-colored sign and, like, stand somewhere. And, yes, it's horrible and obnoxious, but I would be very scared of the precedent that it, that it would set if we just said, you know, we don't like that. Because you never know who's going to be in power, and you never know what they're going to like or dislike. It's like 1984. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, and, and the thing, the funny thing is, is like, I think you want those people out in public because then you know who they are. You know, the scary yeah. thing is, is when like, you know, when you when you don't know their intentions, you know, and, and they hide them and they let them bottle up, you know, and, and then all of a sudden those intentions... You sort of just bottle up, bottle up, and and then they explode, and then you get, you know, ma- nasty yeah. shit happening. Yeah, um, they're venting. They're venting, and they're also putting the world on notice that they're deplorable, <laughs> so that we can choose to avoid them. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm just trying to figure out a way for humanity to reach the ends of the universe. Really, it's 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 not too much to ask. Really, like just trying. Are to, we like, going to though? Or are we gonna? Are we gonna be? be we're going to create the AI that surpasses us in the evolutionary chain. Yeah. Or are we going to, are we going to become transhuman and augment ourselves with all this technology and become a new species? But it feels like in either case, we're kind of, we're ending, we're reaching the end of the, the line for humanity. I feel like. Which is you know? your favorite, which one would be your ideal scenario? The AI waking up or us merging or becoming transhuman? I, I want to merge. I, like, I want to be a cyborg today. But like, like, that's, what, that's what Kurzweil believes will happen. And he's the most optimistic person like, of these futurists who are AI experts is that you know, we create AI and we create robots. And because we created them in our image and sort of using our um, guidelines, they're going to respect us because we're their parents. Even if even if they end up getting big and strong and fast and better than us in every way, they're still going to have this like little piece of them that respects us because we made them. And you know, he thinks that we can control this in a way that we evolve alongside them. So we'll have nanobots in our bloodstream and, and in our uh, nervous system and that's how we're going to go into VR. Like rather than surround ourselves with an omnidirectional treadmill and a haptic feedback suit and like wind blowers and smell vision and all this crap. We're just going to have VR in our nervous system. And so that'll be fully immersive and fully real to us. And then, you know, that's one example of this cyborg future that lies ahead. So I really hope it's that and not just like, you know, Skynet and we're all fucked. <laughs> I mean, all right. Well, so I, so I asked you which one would be your ideal scenario which one would be is the most likely scenario though i unfortunately feel like it's the you know ai becomes we get general intelligence and then within like an hour we get super intelligence because it's just 
improving and improving and improving upon itself at such a fast rate that all of a sudden you have ants that are two steps below us on the evolutionary staircase, like, wait, but why does... And then all of a sudden you have this thing that's a thousand steps above you on the evolutionary staircase. We couldn't even comprehend how different that would be and how completely insignificant we would be to a being like that. Like, it would be like uh, the same way, but why article on AI, which is amazing if anybody hasn't read it. It talks about, like, you know, a conquistador coming to South America and someone asking, like, well, did you see the anthill when you conquered, you know, South America? No, I didn't see it. Because it just wasn't even, it didn't even register. You know, it's like a blip. That's what I think we're going to be like to whatever this uh, kind of sentience is. And we can't even begin to fathom how it would think or what it would do. Have so you, I just think it's about to be irrelevant. <laughs> have you read The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect by any chance? No, but guess what's going on in my Goodreads account right now? <laughs> Highly recommended. It's the so it's the most it's the best case scenario in that paradigm in in the AI waking up. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's very I think it was written really 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 well and I'm I, I think it's one of my favorite books that talk about uh, uh, talks about AI simulations and virtual reality, and you'll be done with it in like four hours. It's so good. It's really. Yeah. Oh, wait, what was the title again? The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect um, by Roger yeah, Williams. Title or Roger? Oh, here we go. Yep. Yeah, it's got a four point two rating on Goodreads. That's that's like really good. You don't often see above a four point one, even for the good stuff. I'm excited. Yep, it's uh, that that book. Um, that book inspired some of me and my friends to start our own religion at Burning Man, and it was uh, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> um, are you still are you still a practicer of said religion? Uh, n- well, he, the, our our version of the rapture happened at Burning Man, so we're all good now. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I've never been to Burning Man, but I really want to. I, I do I do go to Dragon Con often in Atlanta, which is like a huge cosplay nerd convention. Um, so last year I went with a bunch of people, and we all dressed up as Rick from Rick and Morty, just different timeline versions of Rick. And uh, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty trippy. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah, you show up. Um, at any Burning Man esque party, dressed up as Rick or Morty, you're gonna be you're gonna be loved. People are, it's it's yeah. It's, uh, th- that and um, onesies, onesies. I found myself loving falling in love with the onesie. There's this <laughs> there's this thing. Um, so I have a Charmander onesie that I roam around in, and there's That's this perfect. there's this thing at Burning Man where like there's this um, a group of people who will who will go up to you if you're wearing an animal onesie and they will like capture you with a net and they'll put you in the back of their van and they'll drive you to their camp and their camp has this giant onesie at furry party just you know they're just, they're like the, <laughs> the the animal catcher catching people um yeah i haven't gotten caught yet but it's, do they, uh, it's like, a thing. do they let you know that that's happening beforehand because i feel like if i was a party man i'd probably be like let's say under the influence of certain things and if i was in like let's say i'm in a bulbasaur onesie and somebody just shows up and catches me in a net and puts me in the bag of the car i'd be like holy god i think i'm gonna be murdered tonight <laughs> Now I know what it fe- those Pokemon Go Pokemon feel like. 
You're man. right. There's not enough empathy for them. <laughs> well, that did you um who was it? I think there was a Reddit post about how it, the few how Pokemon is actually a dystopian future wherein, you know, it's it's we we've we've gone past the nuclear winter but only children survived and there's <laughs> mutating there's mutating animals and they're making them fight each other. It's, it's for some fucked up reason. I actually I actually kind of love that. It makes it it makes me feel so much more hardcore this game like i'm just trying to survive in this nuclear winter then i'm just wasting my time catching digital monsters that don't exist <laughs> yeah i um it's it it's made it playing pokemon has made it so that you know when i walk around the city with my dog like you know i'm like uh, i look at other dogs down the block and i'll be like all right that's a chihuahua evie can take her you know, or like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a that's a that's a Pomeranian. Evie can take that. Oh, that's a pit bull. We're gonna cross the street. Which she can't. Are you talking about a Pokemon Evie or your dog is named Evie? Oh, my dog is named Evie. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Does she <laughs> look like a fox? Yes. Yes. That's excellent. And I'm going to clone her seven times, and each 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 clone, I'm gonna crisper like you know something. You know, some something watery. So, like, one crisper clone is going to be like half Eevee, half Otter. Another crisper clone is going to be half Eevee, half, um, God, Platypus. Some crazy shit like that. I'm going to try to turn it. I'm going to start real life Pokemon. That's, that's my goal. If I can. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that one would be like a Vaporeon, the Otter one. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. It's kind just, of. it needs more like greenish blue scaly stuff. But if you think about it, or all this CRISPR stuff, you know, like, who's to stop some maniacal madman in the, you know, Caribbean islands from starting his own lab and, you know, start creating, you know, Pokemon? I bet you Craig Venter's thinking about it. Well, I kind of hope he does, because I would really like a Gengar if he's going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Why a Gengar? Who's your favorite Pokemon, by the way? Uh, It's Gengar. Oh, yeah? He's kind of, yeah, I have a stuffed animal of him. Um, I like him because he's he's kind of evil. Like, I've always been into Halloween, and, like, I was, like, super into goth stuff. I, mean, I still am. Like, my whole back is tattooed. Like, Nine Inch Nails is my favorite band. So, like, Gengar is definitely my spirit animal, you know? The rumor about him is that he's a, uh, a ghost of a dead cliff fairy. Oh, so that's why they kind of look alike, right? You can see it. It's a conspiracy theory, but you can oh. see it being possible. That is, man, you just blew my mind. Whoa. Yeah. See. Whoa! So <laughs> many layers deep into this Pokemon thing. I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We're really getting meta on this. What about you know your your definition of privacy? Has it morphed over time? You know, what was what did your pre- definition of privacy look like ten years ago versus today? Versus what will it look like ten years from now? It was much more on the traditional like privacy means keeping people out and away from my stuff. When probably ten years ago, now it's more this privacy is the safe space in which you can express yourself and just be alone. Um, and I think ten years from now, it's going to be eroded even more because the reality is just you know the the private sphere is getting smaller and smaller through things like IoT devices and app tracking and you know like the cities are getting bigger and bigger and everything is becoming connected like 
with AR headsets, people can do face recognition and kind of like figure out who you are and your name and some identifying information just by looking at you in the street. So the sphere of where we can actually go to be private, both online and off, is just going to be shrinking because online and offline are diverging as well. So it's going to, I think true privacy is going to be really hard to obtain in the future. It's going to be, you know, either you're in your house with the door shut or you're on a platform like a metaverse that you know has been designed with privacy in mind from the ground up that doesn't collect unnecessary data that's been audited by third-party security experts so you know like it's kind of staying here and that that's to me the best the best case for the metaverse in terms of privacy what does this mean for democracy oh it's so heavy i don't i think we can only be democratic if we have a free and open internet and we have private spaces to be ourselves because you otherwise you're not going to be able to self-reflect you're not going to be able to educate yourself you need you need to be an educated person to make educated decisions in a democracy that's kind of the basis of this whole thing and i don't think that if you're free to explore what you want to explore and and grow up and learn who you really are like how are you going to make an informed decision when it comes to your government I just don't think you can. I don't think people are making informed decisions now (laughs) as it is because of where we are. And we find ourselves in this post-truth era I keep hearing. Um, And I I struggle. Isn't that sad? I struggle with that. Like, how do I... What what does that even mean? (laughs) What is a post-truth era? Like, there's always truth. It's not going to change. It's just our, 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 our leaders telling us the, the truth which is again like i keep coming back to 1984 it's becoming more and more relevant like the you know we we're at war with, with eurasia we've always been at war with eurasia like no we're we're not at war with eurasia we're allied with them it's like that's kind of what this administration feels like it's only been three weeks but they're telling us things that just aren't true and we're just supposed to accept them yeah, it's insane to me. Well, like, I, this number of people were at the inauguration. Yeah, and it was the most ever, and they were all happy. <laughs> and no. it wasn't even raining. <laughs> yes, it was a beautiful day. Everyone had a kitten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's if I don't laugh, um, then. Yeah. I don't have any, it's, it's too hard to cope. I have to laugh. I have to. Uh, I know. It's either like you laugh or you do a whole shit ton of drugs and you just <laughs> disappear into the metaverse and Matrix style it. Or just play a lot of video games. That's what I do when I'm upset. I have no comment on, on that. But I think, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I... I found out that the next, the best way for me to deal with um, the next four years is through laughter. Really, I, I think it's just yeah. too difficult to on your mind, on your mental health, to be constantly angry and and frustrated and and, and losing hope. I, it's, I think things yeah. things will be okay. Hopefully, um, I'm hopeful. Um, but I, I'm also trying to remind myself to laugh, remind myself that like it's good to be alive and to breathe and to, you know. Um, but fuck, this is unprecedented. This is not it normal. You know, we might be in a simulation though, so we might not be breathing. Just keep that in mind. Oh god. 
<laughs> Sorry. Thanks for that. <laughs> Oops. Um, I mean, just kidding. You, but it, it, here's the thing. Like, how do we, you know, and I was reading an article. And it, it seems to me that it's not just the right, but also the left to, to a certain degree is being pumped with alternative facts, quote unquote. You know, like it. And sometimes I struggle to like, um, it's not to the same degree. It's definitely no Bowling Green type shit. Um, but sometimes I, I wonder whether like, man, is this, you know, am I, am I, am I being, am I really being told the truth? Cause for the longest yeah. time, I never trusted CNN. I, for the longest time, I never trusted mm-hmm. NBC. And now all of a sudden they're trustworthy. You know, like, it's a weird, it's like, it's, I'm in this weird bedfellow situation here. I don't, and I'm not. I agree. It's like, it's, it's not really a left or a right thing. It's just. You know, I've I've worked in or with corporate PR to a pretty high degree by this point. And, like, the statements that people and companies, bigger the bigger the company, the more likely it is that the statement that they're putting out has been hyper-engineered to to accomplish some kind of purpose. It's just, like, there's a lot of propaganda out there. So, like, I don't even know. Yeah, some of it's on the journalists, but some of it's on the sources. And it's just this, like web of sort of like misinformation that helps a particular individual. So I just think like people need to be skeptical. And I also wish there was an app and augmented reality would be perfect for this, but like I wish there was an app tied to an actual verified factual database that you could, you could just compare anything that's coming in against that, the facts and quickly know. Like, you could run it during debates, you could run it during the news, you could run it during, like, reality shows. It would just be, like, an amazing fact-check AR bot. Like, can we build that? Yes, yes. Can we, like, get somebody to do that? Hook it up to Wikipedia or something. Con- like, yeah. Have, <laughs> just just go br- pull from the Wikipedia API and then have, yeah, I'm using words I don't know, and then just, you know, whenever, use yeah. voice recognition to, like, you know, hey, um... You know, what is the, how tall is Mount Everest? And all of a sudden it'll pop up. Here's a visualization of Mount Everest. It is 20,000 feet tall and you'll never climb it because you're too old by now. But it's, 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 it's stuff like that that needs to happen. I'm really, really excited for that. But is it just AR? Do you think virtual reality could also help us understand reality and, you know, help people? Oh, I definitely. Like, I think AR is, has broader implications, but VR has amazing ones as well especially since especially since the department of education is going to get shut down so we're all going to have to need to have our own vr headsets at home to go to school Mm -hmm. right yeah plus we're not going to be able to send kids on real field trips because it's going to be this like bombed out dystopia so we're going to be like hey remember what it was like when we had rainforests well here you're in luck because we're going to send you um we're going to send you on a VR field trip. Visit Yellowstone, sponsored by Disney. So, I... Yes. <laughs> See, that's like, I don't care if Disney sponsors it as long as it's, like, getting the content out there and it's actually cool. That would be that would be a monetization that I would be okay with, you know? As long as it's not like you get to Yellowstone and there's digital ads all over the place. That would be terrible. Yeah, as long as Disney doesn't own Yellowstone, we're okay. Um but yeah, it's uh, yeah, anything's possible, um, man. And and I think that we really should figure out ways to leverage the tools of the future to you know make a dent on on this. You know, th- that's a really good idea. The one you just mentioned, though, I'm really 
going to be thinking about it a lot now that I think that now that you mentioned it. Like, you know, there's got to be a way to fact check people because that's the that's yeah. the, that's the most frustrating thing. It's like, how can we have a, a conversation about, you know, reality when we don't live in the same one? And, and frankly, I, I honestly yeah. think that we have more goals in common than we'd like to believe. Um, Trump supporters, mm-hmm. left leftists, communists, socialists. I think we just we just all want to just be alive and you know have a good life. You know. Yeah, like no, nobody wants this country to go to shit. It's just um, it's the little things where we we disagree. <laughs> yeah, very little, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like let's just like should we just like ban a bunch of people from coming in? Sure, why not? When has when has that ever been a problem in history? I can't think of it. Yeah, no, it's um, no, it's 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 kind of crazy, and you know, it's the thing, it's the reason why I haven't watched any Westworld. It's because I'm paying attention to oh, the fucking you news. Have to. I have to. It, you have. It's just like you have that to look forward to in your life. It's so good. Okay. It's so good. It's just gonna like speak to you on a cosmic level. Oh my god. Okay. I'm in. Yeah. You won. You win. All right. <laughs> That's that's exciting. Just, like, I can't believe you haven't gotten spoiled about stuff yet. You no. probably have. You just didn't. You just didn't know the characters too. Like, oh, whatever. I'm I'm pretty I, I'm pretty good at being a recluse. So and, and and I tell people I haven't seen Westworld. Don't don't say anything. So mm-hmm. yeah. Is it is it oh, really yeah, that I mean, good? Does it like match the hype? Yes, a hundred percent. Or exceeds. Wow, that's it so. It's so fucking amazing and visually it's so amazing it's like it blends this like smooth silver white curves of sci-fi with this like ruggedness of the the wild west and it's this this weird mashup of those things it doesn't look like it would work and it works so well and the acting is amazing on so many levels because you have some actresses and actors who are playing bots playing humans so there's like these weird nuances that are amazing. There's so many big reveals, and uh, it's like it's like on the le- the level of Game of Thrones, but sci-fi. Um, would would you say how would you how would you say the the, the Westworld universe relates to your ideas of, of privacy? You know, what does that world look like without spoiling too much? You know, mm-hmm. well, in some ways, it 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 seems like it would be able to give you a safe space to, to, to be private and do whatever you want, but you, you learn that the park is recording everything, so it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's is—it's definitely a simulation for the, for the androids who live in it. Um, but I think that if it, if it was sort of this free-for-all, like Disneyland for adults populated by androids where you could do anything and there really were privacy controls like that would be awesome i mean we we don't have to get into the philosophical argument about whether like at what point did they become humans and and all that but i would like to go to that park (laughs) as a visitor that would be fucking rad (laughs) i um i would i would love to go too um let me ask you this and i think i'm i think i'm gonna start bringing the last couple questions to a close what advice would you give to virtual reality developers out there um, when it comes to you know thinking about privacy and protecting the you know the rights of their users? I think um, you you have to be really 
smart and deliberate about what data you're going to collect from the beginning and why and ask yourself hard questions like do I do I actually need this piece of data or not like am I doing it because I think uh, investors are going to want to see it or partners are going to want to see it or because I might be able to make money off of it later or is it key and critical to the user experience and if it's not then don't put it in there because if you collect data you can always be asked to hand it over by law enforcement later and that's often what happens like these companies like Facebook and Google and, and uh, Twitter are they're almost like the the surveillance arm of the government. Like they're the private companies that collect the data that they then have to hand over to the government when asked for it. But if they don't collect it to begin with, they won't have anything to hand over. So it's really key that you're not just like being a data, a data silo for no business or product purpose. Um, and I think transparency is key with users. Like often they will be cool giving you stuff like geolocation or opting into notifications or, you know, giving their real name or the real contact info if it gives them a benefit. But you have to be really clear about what that benefit is and it has to make sense in context. So there's like creative ways to onboard people and only ask for things like permissions in context when you need them and when they come up. Um, and, uh, I think being really rigid with those things and and forcing yourself to maintain a standard and ideal that actually matters and not just being like everybody else and eroding privacy over time because it's easy or inconvenient to stick with it, um, you can actually use it as a selling point. Like people want to use services and products that they feel like, you know, they want to work with people and companies that have their back on this stuff. And it can be a differentiator when you know, we're going to be, have a lot of companies competing to get people into their VR environments. What's your take on um, sensors like eye tracking and the inclusion of, of mm -hmm. more and more sensors that, you know, will be capturing galvanic skin response, heart rate, mm -hmm. um, and, and so on and so forth? What do you think? If there's a way to do it that is not personally identifiable, um, like you, you get a big data set from a lot of people all using galvanic skin response and all using eye tracking so that you're able to, like, come up with a norm, and not pull out, you know, what was Chris's eye-tracking pattern like on this particular game? What did he stare at? What did he not? You know, if, if you have that in aggregate, that's very helpful and useful, as long as you can't dig down to a particular individual's eye movements, because, yeah, that's creepy. But, you know, again, from a product perspective, those things are super useful and helpful and essential, in, in, especially with augmented reality, where you need to place images... Um, right in somebody's field of view in exactly the right spot. Can you hold on for one second? I, I know we're recording, but I just, just I have a call at 2.30. I just have to tell them to wait two seconds. Yeah, 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 no problem. Okay, hold on. Sure. Hi. Hi, sorry. I'm I'm actually recording a podcast live, and we're just wrapping it up in like two minutes. So is it okay if uh, I give you a call back in, in, in two minutes? Okay, thank you. Sorry about that. Bye. Okay. Speaking hey. of uh, speaking of that, um, I'm uh, I'm at one of our portfolio companies right now that does um, these MEMS microphones. They're like tiny microphones that go in all kinds of like connected devices and things, and they're really focused on this uh, Internet of Things voice power, voice activation market. So, you know, like in an AR headset or a VR headset, your hands are often busy. Like in VR, you can't see them, so you're probably holding a controller or nothing. Or an AR 
you're walking around on the street, you might have bags, whatever. So voice interfaces are going to be big for these. Um, so I'd say eye tracking, voice UI, brain computer interface, and then like some gesture usage are going to be big. That's exciting. In, in, in terms of that, you know, when as technology progresses, you're going to see virtual reality merge or or, or have um, uh, peripheral technologies that will, you know, be part of it. So AI and, uh, and Internet of Things, you know, how do you see privacy concerns moving forward when all of a sudden you're aggregating technologies into into one single thing? So, for example, the AI application will have a certain privacy parameters compared to the virtual reality platform that it's sitting on compared to the internet of things you know how would you um bring those things to a certain amount of uh harmony i guess it's privacy is one of many of those kinds of concerns when you have all these different interrelated systems talking to each other we have to it's like what we do with the internet like we have to have standard protocols and guidelines that developers need to use mm-hmm. right it's like so who comes up with those standards and who decides what they are and how to implement them and make them easy to use i think we're figuring some of that out right now last question so let's say that uh you know in the future i find myself playing some VR application, social network, whatever thing that is violating my privacy somehow. You know, what steps can I take as an individual to address the uh, address that? You know, what what advice would you would you give to people out there? You know, to prepare themselves to you know. Th- hey, can you hear me? Oh, hey, can you hear me? Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Hey, can you hear me? Hello. Almost there. One last question. One more. One more. Hello. Hello. So the so my last question for you is, um, how can people protect themselves as individuals uh, in the metaverse going forward? Um, how can they? You know, let's say they they in the in, in the year 2018, someone runs into an application that is violating their rights, their privacy, that is doing something sketchy. What can that individual do to uh, address that? The first thing, which is not satisfying for an answer, but the first thing is just don't use it anymore, because if you have one person quitting something because of those problems and that happens on a large scale, that's actually going to impact the company, right? So, like, vote with your actions and leave. Another is complain. I mean, like, you'd be surprised how... This is, like, again, we'll keep talking about the Internet and democracy, but, like, one angry person amplified by the Internet can have major effects. Like, if you look at what Comcast... Comcast got railed on reddit for so many of the things that they've done that are just like shitty terrible customer service and you know then articles get written about it and then the amplification grows so if you're pissed like say so in an intelligent reasonable way like not all caps exclamation points but like be get some evidence about why you're concerned and and voice it and uh yeah i mean those are the two biggest things there's also like you can complain to the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, because um, they handle privacy violations. But just because you complain does not mean they're going to investigate. Uh, 
it's their choice about what they can investigate, but they, they're able to bring sanctions um, and against a company. And just the act of investigating them is enough of a pain and a, a cost that that's punishment in itself in some cases. Um, but we'll see. Is, technology is always so far ahead of the law, so it's really like up to humans as individuals to just say, I don't want to do this and leave, even if it's like a bummer because you like the service. Yeah, well, Sarah, I uh, have conclusively concluded that you are a scholar and lady of the metaverse. <laughs> and I thank you for your time. Um, and I'd like to know how can people stay in touch and follow up with what you're doing these days? I'm uh, Sarah A. Downey, S-A-R-A-H-A-D-O-W-N-E-Y on Twitter. And I'm, I'm always there. So that's like the best way. I'm also Sarah with an H at accomplice.co. And um I don't know if we have cool VR hangouts in the future. Let's let's do that. Like again, nobody's like nobody's in all space or B time. It's just like me. So let's let's do something. <laughs> yes, let us let us. Um, I, and I'll see you there, Sarah. And all the links cool. and notes will be shared in the show notes. Once again, Sarah, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.